Welcome to another episode of Winging It in Motown Radio. I'm your host for tonight, Peter, uh, and joining me is Mike. How you doing, Mike? I'm doing great. Awesome. And also joining me is JJ. What's going on, JJ? Oh, I'm just in the midst of having the greatest night ever. Uh, trademark. Okay. So um, this is our first podcast of 2018. And since we came to you last, the Red Wings have played a bunch of games. Uh, since the new year, the Red Wings are 4-4-1. Four, four, and one. We have beaten Ottawa 2-1 to one in overtime. We beat Florida, so two in a row. Then we lost to uh, two in a row. We lost to Tampa 5-2. We lost to Pittsburgh 4-1. And then we beat Chicago 4-0, which is always good. Lost two in a row, Dallas 4-2, and then Carolina 3-1. We beat New Jersey, which was fun because I typically, uh, you know, I always expect us to beat New Jersey, but then this year they're pretty good. And so we beat them 3-0, which was a, which was a fun game. Uh, and then the most recent game we had was last night uh, as we're recording this, and that was against Philadelphia. And we came back to tie it at two, but then we lost in overtime. So like I said, 4-4-1 four, four, and one, uh, since the new year, which is, you know, obviously not not great, but not terrible. So let's let's talk a little bit about this last stretch of games before we uh, before we get into some some specific issues. Uh, so, Mike, what have you seen? What have you seen from the team in the new year that is either positive or negative? You know, like what like what are your what are your thoughts on the team so far in 2018? Um, the 2018 2018 team so far is kind of, I guess, exactly where. I expected them to be at the beginning of the season where there are moments where it's like, oh, man, are we going to like sneak into that eighth spot in the playoffs? And then there are other moments where it's like, definitely no, definitely not. But the it's going to all balance out and we're going to end up like, you know, three spots out from the playoffs or something like that. Yeah. So, so so basically the worst of both worlds. Like <laughs> yes, make exactly. The playoffs and we have almost no chance of getting a, a, a really top pick. Yeah, absolutely. Awesome. So, so it's basically like the reverse Goldilocks uh, scenario. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right. So, so JJ, what about you? Like, what have you seen good and bad uh, from from the Wings overall? Before we get into some of the specific topics. Yeah, it might be recency bias, but like the the Chicago and New Jersey wins have probably been like the most complete wins of the like the only other one i can remember is that one uh in edmonton where we came in and that was also mrazic shutting out a team on the road so that's just i guess that's the key for it um you know when they've looked bad they've it's not been shockingly bad in their losses it's i guess it's it's basically in the the four regular losses not the overtime one it's always been like uh yeah but i don't know if that's also i've just been beaten into it like oh i expected that i expected them to to kind of look like crap there like the <laughs> dallas loss was was real real bad that was a 15 shots on goal mm. um so yeah I, I don't know i i agree with mike it's basically what what we've come to expect from this team that that some nights and that's that's the true nature of being a, a mediocre team is that there's not one there's not one way. It's just all the mediocre teams are kind of like they're inconsistent in terms of what costs them every night or or what kind of product shows up every night. So, um, you know, I've I've enjoyed that there does seem to be more 
uh, leaning on the kids of late, and that's what I what I kind of need. I still expect it to be uh, an inconsistent team going in, and I'm still terrified of the missing the playoffs by just a few spots and ending up with pick number twelve. Mm. But uh, it is what it is. I'm just I'm writing it out. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, you know, t- touching on what you said. One of the one of the the more positive things for me, especially in this last little stretch of games, has been, you know, in, in the last episode we talked about, uh, you know, Athanasiu and you know his ice time, you know, because you know for a while he was he was not getting the ice time that a lot of the fans would want him to get, and then it was you know this idea of like you know is it. it you know, is is he not getting the ice time because of his performance, or is his performance suffering because of the you know the the players he's playing with? And so the last little stretch he's been playing with with Dylan Larkin, and then more recently uh, they added Tyler Bertuzzi to that line. And I mean, for my money, that's that's been the like the best line every night if you know at least close to it. And every time that line is on the ice, something is happening. And you know, yeah, they're, they're they're making some mistakes defensively. You know, they're making some positioning mistakes. I think um, I forget what game it was, but I remember there was a goal. I want to say maybe against Philly, um, but there was a goal where that line was on the ice and Bertuzzi ended up being the the closest player to the guy on the points. Um, and it was basically like like they the, like the the whole line just kind of didn't really shift quickly enough. Like they didn't uh, you know, they didn't shift their position to adapt to what the offense was doing. And I mean, you know, so they're going to be making mistakes. But on the same time, I mean, they're they're making, you know, making things happen on the other end. Uh, you know, they're bringing energy. You know, we always talk about, you know, players like last year we had, you know, Steve Ott this year, Luke Wachowski, where they're like, you know, they're going to go and throw a big hit and it's going to give us energy. But it's like, you know, a, a, a breakaway gives us energy. You know, a big rush gives us energy, a two on one, uh, you know, a beautiful play. I mean, that, you know, that that gets the the players going as well. So I've been really positive about that. Um, and, and I'm really hoping to see more of that. Definitely. Uh on the on the personnel note, we've had a couple um, we've, had, we've had a couple call ups and send downs recently. Uh, a couple a couple days ago, uh, people got their wish. We got Joe Hicketts up. Um, unfortunately, it was it was like a, a brief moment. You know, like one of those one of those uh, you know those uh, those insects that's born and lives for a day and then and then dies. Um, although obviously he's going to be up later at some point. But they brought up Joe Hicketts. Like a lot of Joe us... Crickets. <laughs> there you go. Woo. Um, so so a lot of us have been waiting waiting for that. Um, so, so JJ, even though it was only one game, what were your impressions of him in that game? Like, you know, did you, you know, obviously it wasn't perfect, but you know, did you like what you saw, what you saw out of him in that game? Yeah. I mean, we saw the, uh, the aggression that we were expecting. He, uh, he laid a pretty nice hit on, on Nico Heeshear mm. in the first period. He, you know, wasn't, wasn't perfect. Wasn't. I think a lot of the the expectation, like the the Customs article and a lot of the other articles, have have talked about how you know don't expect Joe Hicketts to be a a, a game changer. Basically, his ceiling is probably a, a third pairing kind of guy. So uh, having that built in, he looked like a third pairing defenseman in his very first NHL game. Like that was. That's kind of what stood out to me is that he wasn't perfect. I wasn't expecting it to, but I mean, there was a a level of uh, aggression that I think that he did pretty well with. I, I he fit in. Um, 
Yeah, like I, I think the worst thing he did get, uh, he got caught up ice like one time that that sticks out, but um, and like there was one goof that I can remember just inside the blue line, but in terms of he looked like an NHL defenseman for a guy that I was specifically really watching out for. Um, so I, I was really happy to see what he brought, and I was really pissed off that he got sent back down immediately. Yeah, uh, I think, um, you know, it's no secret that, you know, uh, that, that, that we, we have a Slack channel that we, we talk about. And uh, when that happens, I don't even I don't remember exactly the words that I use, but um, they're not really uh, fit for publication. I was uh, pretty pissed off when I when I found out about this. And actually, uh, yeah, that that day, because it was uh, the day of the Flyers game yesterday. And I think the news came out about like, I don't know, one thirty two o'clock. And I was on my way home and uh, I was going to record an interview with Steph Driver from Broad Street Hockey, like a preview for the game. You know, she asked me to come on and talk about the team. And I was so excited to be like, oh, you got to watch this guy. You know, like he's just really fun. He's a fun player to watch. You're going to you know, he's entertaining. You know, he's going to he's going to be enjoyable to watch. And then I was like, ah, so we'll see. Um, Mike, uh, do you have any any thoughts to add on uh, on Mr. Hicketts? Uh, mostly what JJ said that he brought in energy and aggression, and he has put in a lot of uh, positions where he didn't have a ton of responsibility put on him. Um, you know, he was rarely uh, starting up the offense in the wings end, but uh, I thought he performed well for the responsibilities that he was given. He he wasn't like I was never like ah oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> you know, there weren't there weren't any glaring moments like that. And, and yeah, I agree that he I think he performed like an excited, excited young player in their first NHL game in his, you know, whose ceiling isn't through the roof or anything. But but, yeah, you could be, you know, I think uh, fit in as a you know bottom pairing defenseman long term. And, and I don't know, it was it was just cool to see him play finally uh, that was like the main thing it was, it was almost like is this is, is joe hicketts actually on the ice i can't believe it and then and then very quickly it's like maybe he wasn't maybe <laughs> maybe that game was all in my head it, it was, was just an elaborate practical joke <laughs> yes he was sent back down so quickly yeah Oh my god! Well, if yeah. I can but, rant about yeah. that decision for just a second, it's oh, absolutely! Just... Please have the floor. Yes, <laughs> it's it just it's supremely annoying that we've heard the the talk out of out of Holland and Blashill all this time. Like, oh, we're gonna call it if we're gonna call a guy up, we're gonna get playing time. Which, okay, great, they actually did that. But then they, you know, we've heard both of them talk about cautioning against the one game cup of coffee thing because of of what that can do to a player in that position and sending him right back down can create kind of a, a negativity in him that, and I know that the Joe Hicketts uh, part of what got him really noticed has been his, his hardworking attitude. And he, he takes uh, criticism well, and he, you know, you tell him what he needs to do and he just goes out and does it. But still, when you hear from the, the head of the org, the heads of the organization, like we don't want to do this. And then they freaking do it. And then Jeff Blashill was like, oh, well, I guess we just needed to make some some space with the salary caps. Like, well, yeah, but you just freaking waved a guy that you could have done that with. Or, you know, you could have waved somebody else. It just stop <laughs> bullshitting us, please. 
Yeah, I know we've expected it, and it's been a a good experience. In the you know, we used to love when Kenny lied to us, um, but it's it's not funny anymore. Hmm. Yeah, and I I I think one thing is is that when when they called him up, um, in addition to you know a lot of us wanting to see him in the NHL, to you know. You know, in the preseason, he, I mean, I'm not going to say he was our best defenseman, but, you know, in the preseason, I mean, I remember there's at least a couple games where I was like, you know, he does not look out of place at all. I mean, he looks really good. You know, he looks like he can definitely hang in the NHL. Um, I think I think we played Pitts, Pittsburgh, I want to say, in the preseason. Um, and they had, you know, they pretty much had their A, a team out there and he did not look out of place, you know. Um, you know, he looked like he could definitely, you know, hack it in the NHL. So a lot of us were, you know, hoping to see him up uh, a lot earlier. You know, I, I was hoping that he would start the the season with the team, even though, you know, I've learned to not expect too much in that regard. But when we called him up, like we kind of thought, well, this is an interesting call up because if you're trying to win games, he's probably not the, you know, like we've had that before where like, you know, they'll call up a, a veteran guy who, you know, has more experience and he's probably going to help the team more right now, as opposed to we're going to call up somebody who is, you know, might struggle a little bit, but we want to get that person used to the NHL because they're going to, you know, help us down the road. And so it kind of seemed like maybe we're turning the corner towards, you know, realizing, okay, the team's not, you know, almost definitely not going to make the playoffs. And so let's get these guys some experience. And so that was kind of exciting. And then it's like, but now we're going to send them right back down. You know, you know, we need to make some room and we're going to prioritize players that aren't going to be part of our future instead of him. And I know that was really frustrating. Um, But before I forget, um, I just wanted to mention, if you haven't been paying attention, if you haven't been reading Red Wings news today and you're just hearing about this, uh, we did call Dominic Turgeon back up. So, you know, another young player. And again, that's kind of a a strange call up. Uh, JJ, do you want to talk about that a little bit? Because I know you you wrote a little bit about that today. I'm like, why that kind of seems like a a strange move to make with with some of the other moves we've been making lately. Yeah, I mean, it made sense to have Turgeon up when both Ablocator and Helm went down in the same game uh, because they basically lost two penalty killing stalwarts uh, along with the team having missed uh, Glendening. So they definitely needed like a defensive center. So and Turgeon is is exactly that guy. And then Glendening came back and he he played really well against Philadelphia. Um, he came back as as the four C and you know that's that leaves us with Larkin, Zetterberg, Nielsen, and and Glendening as our as our four centers. Mm. Um, and then they recalled Turgeon and and sent down David Booth. Now I I get that Booth had scored against New Jersey, and you know I I guess maybe you don't want to send the guy down immediately after he scored a goal. Um, but like, I don't know where exactly Turgeon slots in now. Uh, are they planning on playing Glenn Denning on Nielsen's wing as, as kind of a return to the shutdown line? And then they're going to give Turgeon back for the four C. Uh, are they going to put Turgeon at the wing uh, is because I mean, Helm and Abdicator are still out. Although Helm is expected back after the, uh, the all-star break, but Glenn Denning was a, a, was a penalty killer. That's that's back in the lineup too. So I, I don't know like what exactly the plan here is or the, the need. Um, I guess I'm, I would rather have Terjean in the, in the lineup than David Booth. If, if you force me to make that choice, just because Terjean is a 
kid with a future, and I don't think David Booth... I, I think the concept that the Red Wings signed David Booth and it was possible that he had a good enough season that they could have flipped him at the deadline, um, I, I think that ship has sailed. So that that's a non-consideration anyway. So yeah, just get as many kids up now. Um, hey, can we get rid of Luke Witkowski while we're at it too? Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I, I just... I kind of don't get it. I don't know what the plan is, and I'm I'm waiting to see. Yeah, I mean, I, I I think that's the thing that like all of us want to see is you know let's see this plan. You know, if we're gonna play play the young guys, that's great. You know, I mean, I've I've been a big proponent since you know before the season even started of you know this year let's get you know let's get some of these guys that are you know, either definitely NHL ready. And we know we don't have a lot that are like, okay, like, you know, they need to be upright this second, you know, but we do have a, you know, a decent amount of guys where, you know, there, there's at least a good chance that they could be a part of the future. And so let's bring them up and see what they got because, you know, JJ, you kind of say this all the time. And I mean, I agree with it. It's like, there's a lot of the players we have, we know what, we know what they have. We know what their ceiling is. We know what their future is. And there's a lot of question marks that we don't know. And so, Let's turn some of those question marks into, you know, maybe maybe lesser question marks or, you know, answers and, you know, kind of get a feel for what some of these players can do, because every year we seem to, you know, we seem to, you know, let somebody go on waivers that hasn't even really gotten a chance. And, you know, this could be our our way of, you know, changing the narrative on that, I guess. Um so, Mike, what do you think about um, kind of the, the player personnel decisions that we've seen of late? Uh, I think the. The Turgeon call may be speaking, I think, to what you were talking about earlier with Joe Hicketts and and that this may be an opportunity um, or not an opportunity, rather, but uh, for these players to come in and, and essentially get their their test drives in. And I don't, I don't know, I guess. Sorry, I'm just trying to clear my thoughts here. But if Turgeon is going to slide in where Booth was in the lineup. The, and and turn Nielsen's line into a shutdown line. I, I guess I'm looking at the lines right now, and it would it would make more sense to me if Turgeon Turgeon and Ferk switch positions. I guess or uh, you know lines, um, <clears throat> but I don't know, man. I, I guess it's it's kind of just befuddling to me the the roster decisions that are that are made but at the end of the day i guess i'm like uh, i don't know like ken holland is gonna say one thing and, and do something else and i'm just kind of going to be along for the for the ride and i try i try very little with the roster decisions to play armchair general manager and 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 kind of nitpick his decisions but I guess all I can say to that really is that I'm glad that that Turgeon is up and getting more experience because, as JJ said, he does have a future with the team. And and if nothing else, I think the team can benefit from from like what we saw with um, with Joe Hicketts, where like he's going to outplay his his ability level because of the excitement of finally being up and and, and that should to what you were saying earlier, that should provide some energy uh, to the team in a way that is better than Luke Witkowski just laying out some third pairing defenseman. <laughs> yeah, in, 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 in like one of his like eight shifts a game or, or whatever <laughs> Yeah, exactly. It is. Somewhere in the first two periods because he's not, <laughs> not seeing the ice. <laughs> and it, it, it's it's interesting to me to see, um, you know, Dominic Turgeon out there because it's uh, – Partially, it's a reminder I'm getting old because I remember watching his father play. Uh, but also, it's it, it, it you know Pierre Turgeon is responsible for 
probably one of my formative hockey memories um, because in the 1992-1993 season in the playoffs, uh, he scored the basically the the the, the put away goal against the Washington Capitals. And for people that don't remember, he as he was celebrating, he was skating along the boards with his arms up in the air, and Dale Hunter came over and checked him into the boards. And if I remember correctly, I think he separated his shoulder. Um, he hurt him bad enough that he had to miss the entire next series. Um, and so basically, you know, that that was um, a formative experience for me because it was a a brief moment of joy followed by terror and frustration. And I think that's 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 kind of what most hockey fans experience in a season, you know, other than those, uh, you know, those those wonderful times where we actually win. Uh, <laughs> so maybe closing out the Red Wings stuff, I wanted to touch on uh, on the power play because that's been. You know, you know, that's been an issue, especially I mean, last year we had an absolutely dreadful power play. Uh, this year it's kind of been up and down. We've made some changes recently. So, Mike, I'm going to come to you first. Um, what have you seen on the power play recently? Like we changed up the units a little bit. We split up Larkin and Athanasiu so that we have um, some, uh, you know, we have some speed on each of the lines. You know, so what have you seen a little bit like good and bad the last, you know, the last stretch of games on the power play? Oh, the last the last two games, it's just been frustrating because it takes them. Yeah, it takes them a full 60 seconds to get into the zone. And then once they're in the zone, it, you know, they get some good movement, but they don't they're not finding a lot of open ice to find great shots. Um, yeah, I, I guess those personnel changes, you know, switching uh, Athanasiu and, and Nyquist is the player that got dropped down. Correct. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. I guess what they're looking for is is perhaps the the Zetterberg unit is too slow at moving through the neutral zone, which I feel is is where their issues coming come from to establish uh, establish control in uh, in the opponent's end. So I guess Athanasiu is there to try and kind of break up uh, that log jam and essentially like force the defenseman uh, force the defenseman back further in their zone, but. Uh, on the other hand, in the last two games, especially, it just it doesn't feel like the results have, have been there. And, you know, it's it's been kind of a almost an anthem the last two years for the most part where it's like, oh, thank God the wings aren't on the power play anymore because <laughs> they, they look better at five on five than they do on the power play. Yeah, definitely. I, I, I know exactly what you're saying, because there's sometimes when I'm doing the recap and I'm like, all right, how am I how am I going to write about this? Because it's going to be uh, it's like well, nothing happened. Uh, yeah, uh, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, JJ, what are your thoughts on the on the the personnel changes on the power play? Yeah, I, I think Mike kind of nailed it down in terms of what they're not doing right, um, and it kind of ties into uh, another blashillism uh, in terms of things that he has told us versus things that he's doing. And he'd mentioned earlier in the season, you know, wanting to not wanting to to bounce around the power play chemistry too too much because then it it takes a while for them to to kind of rebuild that and and so we don't want to jumble that chemistry and then he jumbled the chemistry and it looks exactly like that's what happened is these guys aren't quite aware of where everybody is or where everybody should be or or the little. Uh, propensities that that the line mates have that that make the difference between a crisp zone entry that can create a shot and 30 more seconds of chasing your own tail Mm. so 
Um, it's there's still a lot of a lot of it's too static that the the passing isn't as crisp as it should be. Uh, they're not setting up for effective shots. Uh, they're not getting pucks uh, low to high or high to low. Um, and I still, I, I don't like Athanasiu right in the middle of the ice. And I, I don't know necessarily where he should be because mm-hmm. I do like him as a, as a zone entry tool. Right. Um, but they still lean on, on Cronwall too much. I mean, at all. I don't think Cronwall yeah. should be yeah. on the power play yeah. at all. Yeah. Um, let alone being responsible for, for helping his own entries. So. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I, I think they should just go back to what they had and wait for the funk that those units had been in to just kind of work itself out. Because I, they had a lot more dangerous-looking power plays prior to these switch-ups, and I, I'm not really patient enough to wait for these switch-ups to, to work on that chemistry because I don't think that the the setup is all that good. Yeah, I mean, I remember thinking back to the the beginning of the year, but you know, before before I think probably before even like preseason had started, um, you know, it was after we traded for or not traded, I'm sorry, after we signed uh, Trevor Daly on free, you know, on July first, you know, I I remember you know kind of looking into him and talking to people about him, and the one thing I was excited for is I was like, this is great, we don't need Cron, you know, Cronwall. Like is not going to be on the power play anymore. We're going to have Daly back there running the show. You know, he's obviously not as good as he used to be, but, you know, he has that offensive instinct, you know, so, you know, we got Mike Green on one unit. We can have Trevor Daly in the other unit. This is going to be this is going to be a big step up. And then there were these comments about Blashill where he's like, well, I'm not thinking about playing him on the power play. And I was like, well, either you're like the biggest idiot in the world, uh, because I, I mean, that's a no brainer. Like, I mean, he is he's he like that's that's why you bring him in. And I was like, ah, oh, you know, maybe he's just saying that. And I mean, I looked it up the other day and I, I don't think Trevor Daly has one one second of power play time, which is absolutely baffling to me. Um because Cronwell, he knows what to do. You know, I mean, like, like there are some things he does well. Uh, I think, I, th- I think we, Prashanth was looking into uh, some of this data with, you know, the entries and exits. And one of the things that he found, it, it, and, and I apologize if I'm misrepresenting this. This is my my the best of my recollection was that you know Cronwell was actually very effective at getting the zone entries on the power play. But then le- JJ, like you were saying, the problem is they're they're not moving the puck, you know, sometimes they, they can't even get set up, you know, Mike, like you said before, sometimes it takes them, you know, 60 seconds before they even get any kind of sustained zone pressure. But when they do, you know, the, the puck isn't moving quickly enough. And a lot of that, a lot of that ties into to Cronwall, um, just kind of taking, a, a, you know, maybe even just a split second too long to make that play. Like, I mean, we don't have the personnel that Tampa has, of course. But I mean, if you watch their if you watch their power play, once they're in the zone, I mean, that puck is moving. You know, it's 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 back to Hedman. It's over to Kucherov. It's over over to Stamkos. And again, we don't have players of that caliber, um, or you know, at least nearly as many as they do. But we can move the puck quicker. You know, and I mean, I don't know. It just seems so obvious that sometimes it's just maddening to watch. Uh, you know, it seems like it should be better, and it's it's kind of hard to understand why it's not. Um, all right, so before we move on to other topics, uh, for either of you, is is there anything uh, on you know Detroit, uh, you know the Detroit, uh, um, uh, you know you know the team that you want to talk about? Uh, you know any topics with the Red Wings that we we haven't talked about? I just hope that they can keep 
kind of losing games like they lost in against Philly in terms of because I am at the point where I'm I'm afraid of the team wasting the next month um, trying to climb back into playoff contention. Mm. Uh, and so I, I am getting I, still I, I watch an individual game and I cannot not cheer for for wins. Uh, I I cannot you know, be grouchy about the Red Wings scoring goals and I cannot be happy about them allowing goals um, because that's that's me watching an individual game every time. But in the overall scheme of things, yeah, I am kind of uh, rooting for them to get unlucky at the at the end of the night. I'm like, ah, oh, damn it. They could have won that and they didn't. And now I can now that the game is actually over. I can be happy about it. So <laughs> that's that's where I'm at it is a weird version of fandom that i'm not used to yeah yeah the other night or last night the other night in philly when uh tyler bertuzzi like fanned on those two open nets oh God. <laughs> I, I was so man <laughs> I, was, I was so upset and it's it's actually it's good that the in particular the two games against philly this year got me excited about the games in a way that a lot of games haven't this year you know I'm not I'm not that excited after the first period when I'm covering like a a six two drubbing from Edmonton or <laughs> or Pete, I think you covered like the ten one game. Oh but, god. Oh yeah. But uh but yeah, the game against Philly when, when Bertuzzi missed those those two open nets, it was just like, oh man. <laughs> like that was just <laughs> this this is what it this is what it used to feel like. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, okay, so we're going to move on to uh, to our next topic, which is around the NHL. So, you know, we are past the halfway point in the season. Uh, we are coming up to the All-Star game. We'll we'll talk a little bit about the All-Star game in the next segment, uh, depending on how much we, you know, how much we want to talk about it. But, you know, let, let's take a, a quick look around the rest of the NHL uh, to talk about, you know, some of the biggest stories that have been happening lately. Um, so let's see, I think Mike, I think I went to you first. So I'm going to go to JJ, yeah. uh, first this time. Um, so JJ, what, what's a, you know, either one or two storylines or, you know, NHL things happening right now that you think are interesting as a fan? Uh, Brad Marchand got five games, uh, for elbowing a guy and I was not expecting him to get more than one. Yes. Yeah. So <laughs> if you haven't seen the play, just go Google <sighs> it or. Or uh, go into to Wim's quick hits for today because I I did put that in there, yeah. Um, and uh, just uh, look at, like he lunges directly at a guy, and then he has the audacity to to tell the league, oh, I was expecting, I was defending myself. It's like yeah. no, you like went straight to attack. You yeah. The little chihuahua that that goes after a, a Great Dane, like that's exactly. <laughs> That's exactly what Brad Marchand is on on every shift. So uh, surprised <laughs> that the DOPS handed out that many. Like it was, it, I mean, it has gotten to the point. This is his fifth suspension, I think he yeah. and he is a repeat offender. So I guess it shouldn't be a surprise. But that's what DOPS has given us. I mean, they we don't we can't expect any anything. Uh, and the other part of that is like, man, what the hell is up with with Vegas? Just <laughs> just start losing more games already guys it's getting ridiculous plus 37 goal differential right now that's 
like no they're actually good it was they it was smoke and mirrors early and now it's yeah. like no they're they're playing like a like an actual good team so get bent jerks <laughs> yeah i know that um you know it, 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 it's going to be interesting at the end of the year to go back and see um, you know, at the beginning of the year, everybody makes all their predictions. And I mean, nobody, nobody thought that Vegas would be this good. At, you know, I mean, no, you know, nobody was even close to that. But it's going to be interesting to see, like, you know, who thought that they could even make the playoffs because not many people thought that, you know, that would happen. But, yeah, I mean, like, like I keep I keep looking at Vegas and I'm like waiting for them to fall off the cliff and. At this point, I think I have to realize that it's not going to happen. I mean, they are, you know, they're 19, two and two at home. So that's obviously going to be, you know, a big help, uh, you know, when you almost never lose at home. Um, But on the road, I mean, there's they're 13, nine and two, you know, so it's not like they're like, you know, sub 500 on the road and they're just making up all their points at home. I mean, they're they're winning, you know, Uh, I don't know if they still are, but until recently they were the uh, the top team in the league. Uh, Tampa, Tampa's overtaken them. They have uh, 69 points. Tampa does to Vegas is 68. Nice. There you go. I was waiting for that. Okay. Um, <laughs> so, uh, uh, Mike, what do you think around the league stuff, um, storylines, things you're interested in, etc.? cetera? Uh, the Avs last night lost. So that, you know, breaking a 10 game, 10 game winning streak they had, they lost to uh, Montreal. So that's just like a, a general, like, feel good thing because i don't have like any sympathy for them being a like long-suffering <laughs> fan base anymore like it's still they they lose after like a 10 game winning streak i'm like yeah <laughs> um <laughs> the other thing a larger uh larger season stories is uh or longer running season stories is like i still like can't get over the blackhawks mm-hmm. and how like just not not fantastic they are this year um they they just they you know they're (laughs) sitting they're sitting well one two three four spots out of a wild card spot seven points yeah over halfway through and it's just it's just kind of it's strange seeing it's putting into context for me i guess how special the the wings run was Mm -hmm. uh making the playoffs because it's like a team, a team that was as good as Chicago was, is now like has just so quickly kind of you know the rugs been pulled out from under them, and they've still got like two really good lines, but and you know a pair and a half of really good defensemen, but you know maybe that's just uh, an example of the salary cap era finally causing one of these like quasi dynasty teams to actually fall back to earth. Yeah, I was taking a look at, at the standings as you guys were talking. And um, I mean, one thing that's amazing to me is just how bad Buffalo and Arizona are. They are oh. they, each of them is a negative 53 goal differential. People that's, keep saying, sorry, go ahead, go ahead. No, I'm just saying that's that's amazing. It's astonishing that it, that it can be that high. Yeah, people keep saying like, ah, Ken Holland doesn't want to become like the new Edmonton Oilers if you know he just yeah. you know throws the switch and goes into full rebuild rebuild mode. And I think that expression is wrong because no, he doesn't want to become the Buffalo Sabers. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <laughs> like I think I think Buffalo and Arizona have overtaken Edmonton as the, the definitive exercise in futility. Yeah, and I mean I think the saddest thing about it is that. 
you know, Buffalo famously tanked to try to get McDavid. You know, they, you know, there's been times where they have pretty much purposefully put out a bad team and tried to lose, which is, you know, something you don't want to do. I mean, if you're going to do this, you know, lately, like a rebuild and, and quote unquote tank, I mean, the way to do it is to play younger players you know, who are inexperienced, who are going to make mistakes, you know, because then they'll, they'll get the experience, et cetera. You know, like, the, you know, it's not good for a team if you basically, you know, pull a major league and you're like, we want to lose games. And so, like, like the craziest thing is, like, Arizona, you know, I mean, like, this seemed to be the year that, OK, well, they're going to take a step up. You know, they've been, you know, they've been playing, you know, kind of salary cap hockey uh, with, you know, taking on bad contracts. And then this year, you know, they go out, they trade for Ronta. Um, you know, he was injured in the beginning of the year and that that kind of really hurt him to get started. But, you know, you know, they made a trade for, a, you know, a backup goalie that a lot of people thought, you know, he could definitely make the jump to be, you know, a good starter. You know, they went out and they made some trades to to get players that would help them now. And they're terrible. And like Buffalo is, I think Buffalo's worse now when they're like, and they're not trying to be, but they're worse now than they were when they were specifically trying to get Connor McDavid. And it's just, it's just amazing. Yeah. I think they're the best argument, the best argument for like, yeah, culture winning culture is absolutely a thing. And like, Hey, this is the example of what happens when, you know, your culture like fades away and (laughs) You know. Yeah, I think um, my the storyline that most interests me right now, I think you guys touched on a lot of them. I, I definitely I'm always interested in Department of Player Safety stuff because I just I, I can't get over how bad they are mo- most of the time. Uh, Vegas is definitely something that, w- you know, is on my radar. But I, I'm just right now I pulled up Sportsnet and the 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 you know, the top story right now is. The headline is the worst thing the Oilers could do is fire McClellan. And it's written by Mark Spector, which if you've been following this is hilarious because Mark Spector has basically been doing nothing but talking about like basically writing about how bad the team is, which is true. But all his all his writing kind of has the under like the subtext of, you know, they're not being coached well. You know, and like before he had like Euler's sense of entitlement remains even after drubbing by Sabres. And like a lot of the, the articles he's been writing have basically been like, you know, there's something wrong with the culture. There's something wrong with what they're doing. And then now his article is the worst things they could do is fire McClellan. Uh, like every time I think that, you know, every time I get a little upset at our beat writers for, you know, some of the things they, they definitely could be doing better. I always think of Edmonton. I always think of Montreal. And I think like it could be so much worse. <laughs> okay, so let's see. We have um we, we can talk a little bit about the Olympics and the All-Star game. I think if I remember correctly, I think last time we talked about the Olympics. Um so or, or maybe not, I forget. Anyway, so we got the Olympics coming up. We got the All-Star game coming up. Uh let's talk about the All-Star game uh cuz that's first. That's going to be uh pretty soon, I think next uh next weekend. So, Mike, what are your thoughts on the All-Star game? Do you care? Um <laughs> you know, uh oh, I forgot to say Mike Green. Mike Green was selected to be an All-Star from the Red Wings. Pretty clearly should be should have been Dylan Larkin if you're going by, you know, who's having the best season, but that Atlantic, you know, the forward group um, I don't know how you really, re- you know, as good a season as he's having, I, I don't know how you replace 
uh, some of those players, especially since you have to have one player from every team. And some of those, like, for example, Buffalo, I mean, it's going to be Eichel. Like, you can't have anybody else. Um, so, um, yeah, so, 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 Mike, what are your thoughts on All-Star Game, All-Star Game weekend, any of that stuff? Ah, geez, I'm glad that you elaborated on your point there so I could quickly pull up the All-Star rosters <laughs> and, and actually think about the All-Star Game here for a minute. Um Man, that is a lot of lightning players on the Atlantic squad. <laughs> <laughs> that, is, that is four of them. Yeah. Uh, I, you know, it's. I'm wondering it, how how long is the shelf life for the uh, for this format? How how much longer is it going to last? It feels like every four years or so we go through a new a new format to try and keep the All Star Game fresh and. Then and it's like uh, that kind of worked like it was it was OK for a year. And then by year three, like no one, no one cared anymore. Um, so I'm curious as to what what might be the next format, because honestly, the the all star games that uh, that I have paid closest attention to were was that that all star game in Carolina, like a handful of years ago now where they did like the the pickup fantasy style hockey and Lindstrom was one of the captains and then the um the John Scott All-Star game and otherwise when they you know and those were those were the first year that a new format was introduced and otherwise it just it doesn't it doesn't intrigue me very much um you know, it's always uh, I'll turn it on while I'm like folding laundry or whatever yeah. <laughs> and, and uh, you know, pay pay attention to it that way. But I don't know. I've, I guess I've always been kind of the opinion that it's it's very it's very a lot of flash and not much substance. And so I don't think it's uh, I don't think it's super compelling to me as a fan. And I think that raises questions about like the necessity of it. Yeah, I, I think that definitely makes sense. Uh, I'm typically not super excited about it, depending on, you know, like if I'm around, I'll probably watch it. Um, I usually I usually end up watching the skills competition. Um, it, it's funny because I always kind of forget each year. I kind of forget that I'm always interested in the skills competition. And then about halfway through, I stop caring about the skills competition and then like and then i forget until the next year i'm like oh the skills competition it's like oh shit <laughs> oh yeah like it, it's fun for a while um this year they they got rid of um the the breakaway challenge which is uh for me has has led to um you know kind of some terrible moments some like kind of cringeworthy moments but it's also led to maybe some of the most entertaining moments of that night um P.K. Subban dressing up like Yager, uh, Brent Burns dressing up like Chewbacca. And then I think the the all time classic was uh, Voracek uh, grabbing Johnny Goudreau and skating with him like a little boy. Uh, and that was like that was just unbelievably funny. Um, so I, I am going to kind of miss the potential for humor there, although. At some point, it would get to the point where it's like, OK, like we've kind of done everything we can think of. There's nothing more to do. Um, you know, they have made some other changes uh, to the to the skills competition. Um, so, JJ, what about you? Any any interest in the all star game? If so, what? Um, if not, why? Yeah, I mean, you guys have, have pretty well nailed it down in terms of like the first time they did this three on three tournament. I kind of 
poured over the rosters and, and really analyze like what I thought would be, you know, you know, where the advantages would come out and, and who would be good and, and not. And this time, like I saw the list and basically I was like, okay, which one's the red, the one red wing. Okay. Now I know the one red wing. I don't care. Um, <laughs> I'm still a sucker for the, for this, the skills competition. Like, if I don't end up watching the the All Star game itself, then that that is what it is. And I I think I asked my wife just like, what are we doing this weekend? Because like, there's no hockey that I I care that much about. So yeah, <laughs> if we end up just like staying at home and, and being cheap, then yeah, I'll I'll have it on and I'll just jump on on Twitter and and say mean nasty things about everything. <laughs> but um. Although I I may still DVR the skills competition because like I said I'm I'm a sucker for that I'm the breakaway challenge thing I'm I'm kind of glad they killed it off because I was I was getting tired of the concept of like they desperately want this to be their dunk contest and it just doesn't yeah. work like that <laughs> yeah um, it was nice to see some of that personality I think there's there's kind of other ways to do that um, but like. Even the the accuracy shooting thing is just like it's just entertaining to me to to watch the the true exhibition of, of how good these guys are. So um, I yeah I'm I might DVR that, but in in terms of the the entertainment for that, um, it's not really something that that get gets me excited. Uh, although I'm I, I don't want them to like kill it off or anything because I think that maybe I'm just a, an old jaded fart bag that that okay it's it's not for me but that's not it but that's okay so i don't know maybe they should kill it off i was just <laughs> kind of bummed out about them not having an atlantic at an olympic break instead of an all-star game and kind of upset at the league for a non-hockey decision in regards to the entertainment at the all-star <laughs> game um kind of a, a tone-deaf decision to bring in a, a divisive, non-inclusive person when hockey is talked about being for everybody so often. So it's just it's just another painful reminder that the league is is capable of, of incredible garbage. Yes. Yeah. Uh, yes, absolutely. Um, the, uh, I mean, that's... I, I, I think... Um, you know the you know the decision to 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 do that for the uh, the the entertainment uh, you know portion of the the All Star game or whatever. Um, it's it's just it's hard to look at that and not think that the league just doesn't care. You know that that all the stuff, all this, you know, the, the stuff that they're doing with the the you can play. You know, we're gonna have the, you know, we're gonna have the night and everything. You know, we're gonna have the game and we're gonna, you know, do the pride tape. But it's like it kind of, it, it's hard to look at that and not feel like they're just doing it because they kind of feel they need to. You know, they're just paying lip service um, because you know like you always say actions speak louder than words, and this is this is an action. Um, there's there's no reason that they had to. I mean, like. It would be one thing if this was like a super popular musical artist, you know, and they're like, oh, you know, hey, you know, this this person's going to drive fans to come. I mean, obviously, I, I still would disagree with that, but at least at least there's like kind of maybe some logic, even though 
you know, you like you don't agree with the logic, but at least you can kind of see maybe why they they weighed different things and that's what they came up with. But like there's not really a I don't know, there, there, there's no reason to do it um, other than the fact that they just they just don't care. Um, I don't know. It's I, that's what I keep coming back to. It's kind of hard to to get around that. But um, uh, you mentioned before the the Olympic break or in this case, the lack of Olympic break. So um, this year, you know, we got the Olympics coming up in the in the near future. The NHL players will not be there. Uh, we found out this week that there's uh, a, a list of a few Russians that were, I think, probably hoping to go play and they're not allowed to. So, you know, it's it's going to be interesting. It's kind of kind of back back the way it used to be when we had, you know, you know, uh, non-professional hockey players, uh, although we had the Russians who were obviously um you know, much better, except for except for one time. But um, so <laughs> one, one, one specific time where, where that didn't that didn't pan out that way. But um, so, so, Mike, are you interested in the Olympics? Are you going to be watching? Are you going to be yeah. staying up late or recording? Yeah. Yeah. Um, it, it is kind of a buzzkill. The the, you know, non NHL players, obviously. But on the other hand, it, it's a cool opportunity to, to just see other names that aren't yeah people that are going to be in the nhl soon because a lot of these guys are are um you know college age kids or um you know and and so they'll they'll be in the league soon or they're from guys that are over in europe and it's like oh wow there are american hockey players that do play over in europe um so it'll be it'll be cool to to see that um, you know, and holy cow, Brian Gianta is on the U.S. roster. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> so, yeah, there'll be that wow factor, too, of not just like, wow, that like, you know, you know, so and so from uh, St. Cloud State. <laughs> He's going to be in the NHL soon. But like, wow, Brian Gianta is still playing hockey <laughs> as well. <laughs> um <laughs> you know so I, I think that'll be neat i'm looking forward to it i uh you know i on the one hand i i know the russians are the favorite and i'm not one of these people that just love upsets for the sake of upsets uh and a lot of times i agree with the best team winning but i am I, you know i think it'd be cool to see uh you know maybe like the Finns get their due or something you know um and this would be a year where that is possible because canada doesn't have like a genetically engineered mutant super team for once <laughs> uh well I, I mean you know even when that happens you know the u.s we have we have stockpiles of grit just lying around <laughs> yes. uh to, to assemble a roster with all right so, so jj what about you 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 interested more interested than usual less interested than usual do you care <laughs> I'm definitely less interested than usual, but I am more interested in like a different way, like of like specifically watching unusual players kind of play for the the national pride angle rather than the we know we're not getting a truly best on best tournament, which we've seen and it is entertaining and it is something I still technically I I still prefer, Mm. but it's it's not like the olympics is is meaningless now and i am still all in on on the women's tourney because team usa team canada is going to be another fantastic matchup um 
I'm probably going to build my excitement around how hard on the, the men's side I'm rooting against Russia and how kind of weird that is for me now because if it weren't for Russian players, I probably wouldn't be a hockey fan. <laughs> um, and I've always, like, I've always been, like, decently pro-Russian going around. Like, even even before before Datsuk, I was, I was in love with the Russian number 13, uh, Slava Kozlov. Oh, yeah. Um, so... And, and, you know, I've always kind of had it out for the the Canadian hatred of Russian hockey. Um, And now it's like I really, really, really want Russia to lose for a bunch of reasons that I think are are totally justifiable. And one that I know is entirely petty, which I'm not going to get into here. Hmm. Um, There's there's basically one specific person who annoys the hell out of me who is very pro-Russian. And it makes me root Mm -hmm. harder against the Russians. (laughs) Um, so plus a, you know, it would be an upset for them to lose now. And so good, you know, good for the little guy. If it it can't be the U S which I don't think it will be, uh, just don't let it be the favorites and don't let it be Canada. Yeah. Yeah. I think, um, uh, speaking of the Russians like that, that reminded me of something that, uh, last week I, I went to, um, I went to, uh, the Prudential center in, uh, in New Jersey to see the devils and they were playing the capitals cause it was, it was my wife's birthday and you know, she loves hockey. So she's like, Hey, let's see if they're, you know, let's see if they're playing, you know, a team that would be entertaining to watch and we'll go. Um, and I think I think it's my first time ever seeing Ovechkin play live. I can't remember for sure, but it definitely has been quite a while. And I just found it interesting. I know I know obviously a lot of people have, have you know said this forever, but like you know you know they always talk about how you know you know he has his 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 office on the power play, you know, he just sits at the point. But I mean like just watching him do it where like the puck is in the zone for like a full minute and he is literally in one spot like <laughs> It was just really interesting to watch in person, um, you know, just to see him just kind of stand there. Uh, and actually, there was a play um, a little bit earlier, like like they're getting ready for the power play. And four of the Capitals are huddling up to talk. And Ovechkin is literally at his spot on the point just waiting. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's it's like some of that stuff you don't get to see on TV when you're watching. And it was just fun to watch that in person. So I think um, – I'm I'm a little bit sad for the Olympics for maybe some of these younger players who haven't gotten the chance to, you know, some of these younger NHL players who haven't gotten the chance to do it. Um, but I'm also kind of interested in seeing it be, you know, kind of more of a, uh, you know, a little bit more of a level playing field, um, you know, getting to see people who, you know, would otherwise have zero chance to, you know, get to represent their country, um, which, you know, I mean, that's supposedly what the Olympics is all about. So I think that's that's definitely an interesting, uh, interesting storyline to follow. And, uh, you know, we'll see we'll see what ends up happening with that. Hopefully it's an entertaining tournament. And, um, you know, hopefully we have, uh, you know, good hockey and then uh, a, a great gold medal game, which is always, you know, always super exciting, you know, maybe over time. Something like that. So we get a, you know, a new national hero. <laughs> yeah. All right. So um, before we get to reader questions, we have um, we have one of our favorite segments, which is Positivity Corner. All right. So, JJ, what do you got for this time? I'm so glad I get to lead off with my awesome. favorite person. Uh, Tyler Bertuzzi is mm-hmm. just every shift. He is fun to watch. He's not 
the Athanasiu Larkin Mantha electrifying, but it's just it. He does things that you really appreciate watching. Like he really remind he may he reminds me of of uh, I really miss Kirk Maltby. Um, mm. Just a guy who goes out and he's just got a good hockey IQ and he kind of annoys people. And there's just something about his like smirk that is like <laughs> you you know if he weren't on your team you'd be like you jerk off. <laughs> so I'm just really enjoying uh, what Tyler Bertuzzi has been bringing to the Red Wings of late. Cool. Yeah, I, I definitely agree on that one. Uh, Mike, what do you got? Uh, it's been cool seeing a little, uh, little Peter Mrazek renaissance the last uh, last week or so. Um, you know, even even though uh, he picked up that loss against Philly, uh, you know, it was it was a good loss, and you know, if we if you can call it that. And I think his plays looked looked a lot better. Um, yeah, he's he's looked like he's had a lot more uh, control uh, in the past few games. And I don't even mean to be like yes, and then he'll be awesome trade bait at the deadline, you know, like all scheming like. But um, but no, it's just it's just cool to because he's been you know down in a rut for so long that it's just it's really encouraging to see him playing well again. Yeah, I mean, I think definitely the uh, that last goal. I think he should have had. You know, I mean, if you're if you're an NHL goalie and you get a glove on it, like you should you should be able to to, to stop it. Um, but you know, other than that, you know, I mean, he's he's definitely played really well lately, and you know, obviously that's definitely a good thing to see. Um, so I have uh, I have two quick ones. One's Red Wings, and one is just kind of NHL related. Um, on the Red Wings side, um, I'm gonna go back to something I said earlier, which is. You know, the line of Larkin, Athanasiu, and Bertuzzi, it's just fun to watch them. Every time they're out there, something happens. Um, it's it's nice to see, you know, Athanasiu kind of settle in, um, you know, get more, get more responsibility, get more uh, playing time, and then, you know, reward, you know, the coach for giving it to him. Um, you know, like, basically that whole line is going to make some mistakes, and they, you know, they make some mistakes here and there. But... You know, they're they're electrifying, they're exciting, they're fun um, and they're, you know, providing definitely an, a, a reason to watch the game. Even some of these nights when it's a little boring, you know, some of the other players might not be uh, playing as well as they could be. You know, you know, at least, you know, every few shifts, you're going to get some excitement out there. Uh, and the other one is, um, you know, I'm a big fan of of hockey podcasts and there is a, a relatively new one. It's only been out a couple episodes, which is the uh, the 31 Thoughts podcast. So you have Elliot Friedman, who is obviously one of the most, you know, knowledgeable and plugged in uh, hockey writers, uh, in, you know, in the league. And then you have Jeff Merrick, who is, in my mind, probably, if not the best, one of the best hosts. Um, I as somebody who hosts podcasts, I am in awe of how good he is. And, you know, I aspire to be half as good as he is. So. I'm really enjoying that, you know, with with Merrick versus Wyszynski not uh, not around anymore. Um, it's really nice to have Merrick back on a podcast, and I'm, uh, you know, along with Elliot, uh, you know, they they talk about some good good stuff. They have a lot of good insight, um, and it's definitely interesting to hear uh, what they have to say. So if you haven't checked that out, I definitely think you should. All right, and now we are going to uh, go to our resident question reader, JJ, for our reader questions. Alrighty, we've only got uh, eleven comments right now, so we'll we'll should be able to run through this. But we got some really good ones. Starting off with uh, Rower Power, uh, why can't the Wings get more shots on goal? 
One thing that stands out to me when I look at some of the stats for the team is our low goals for and shots compared to NHL average. Everything else is basically around league average. Is it a systems things where we can't gain the zone effectively to generate shots on net? Do the players pass too much or in a room? It seems like we could hang with the rest of the league if we could just score a little more. So, Peter, what do you think? This is a tough one. Like, I was thinking about this. Um, I, I saw this question because this, this came in pretty early. Um, you know, Rarpar is definitely a, a power commenter on uh, on these mailbags. Um, and uh, let me think. Um, I mean, I, I know, like, there's the other night where we only had, like, 15 shots, you know. So, you know, there's these times where, you know, it's 10 minutes into the game and we get our first shot on goal. Um, I mean – sometimes it's just that we're not we're not getting sustained we're not getting sustained offensive pressure you know we get into the zone and you know maybe it's like you know somebody comes in the zone and you know they throw it on goal or they dump it in we're not able to keep the puck in and i think a lot of that is uh a reflection on our defense's ability to keep the puck in there um you know, like I said, I was thinking about this and trying to, you know, trying to come up with an answer. And I think that's definitely one of the things is that, um, you know, our defense isn't doing a good enough job of helping us sustain the offensive pressure in the zone by keeping it in and, you know, making quick plays with the puck. Um, yeah, I mean, like, like some of it's just like like a product of just being outplayed completely. Like, you know, there's been games where we have five, you know, five minutes where we barely seem to touch the puck. And obviously that's going to really limit our, our shots because, you know, you can't shoot if you don't have the puck. So I think I don't know. For me, I think it's a combination of all of that. I'm, I'm interested to see what you guys have to think. Mike, what are yeah. your thoughts? I would agree that that a lot of it comes back to to the defense or rather maybe a mobility thing, um, a, a lateral mobility issue, um, because I, we talked as, ad nauseum about the uh, defense, the defense's inability to get the puck moving cleanly up ice quickly before uh, our opponent's defense can get set up. But also, kind of like Pete was saying, once in the zone, I think the defensemen have a hard time keeping the puck in to help sustain pressure. And I think that comes from a lot from, uh, you know, lateral movement. And we have a lot of defensemen that are old or their ceilings just aren't particularly high or whatever. Um, I think that uh, that causes a lot of issues, too. And also, with the mobility issue... Blashill, when he started coaching up in the big leagues, wanted to have a more activating def- uh, defense. And that seems to work sometimes to uh, help kind of uh, um, discombobulate and cause uh, cause the opponent to, you know, to lose, uh, you know, lose their man and whatnot. But it seems like the other issue um, on top of the mobility issue is that uh, you know creating space in front of the net? We are not anywhere near what we used to be. Um, you know when we had Holmstrom, when we had you know, Todd Bertuzzi, um, you know, or even even guys like Datsuk, who are you know obviously small but very strong individuals. Um, we can't make that space in front of the net like we used to. So I think we're we're not generating a lot of uh, uh, chances from you know. Uh, uh, dangerous areas of the ice. Yeah, it was actually. Uh, I, th- I think the, the keying in on specifically the defense is 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 right on, and 
it's a good point that like we just don't muck it in front of the net like we used to and, and get to pucks. Um, in looking at the the data I was on on Corsica, uh, looking at players with 400 minutes played at, at even strength so far, um, and the range for uh, shot attempts on for 60 is down with like Matt Cullen as the bottom of the league with with only like 40. And you go up to the top of the league, and, and guys are at 76. Um, the midpoint is is a high 50s, 58, 59 uh, shot attempts per 60 minutes played, and that's right about where where Dylan Larkin is. But he's the outlier. He's mm-hmm. like three higher than Mantha. He's five higher than Tatar. Then the rest of the team is hovering right around 52 attempts on net per 60. Um, that suggests there's a pretty heavy systems impact on it, that it's it's kind of by design. Um, and that's kind of backed by the idea that there's there aren't any Red Wings players in the high minutes category that are allowing up uh, even 60 shot ag- attempts against per 60. Um, Franz Nielsen and Henrik Zetterbull both be, both see pretty low attempts for uh, or attempts against rate. Mm. And they have both have pretty low attempts for rates. So they're going out there and, and playing shutdown a lot. Uh, when you look at the way the team plays, they are still passive in their own zone. They're not playing with possession, and they seem kind of happier uh, with that in order to trade higher event hockey for doing more to limit the amount of, of danger the other team can create in their zone. Uh, and then they're trying to basically make up for the the difference with creating higher quality. Yeah. Um, in terms of looking at at how that's going on uh, natural stat tricks, high danger scoring chance rates, uh, the top six forwards are actually kind of doing. They're kind of pulling that off. Um, you know, Zetterberg is is not creating a lot of shot attempts, but in terms of high danger chances for uh, his his rates are pretty good. Uh, it's just at the bottom of the lineup, there's they're not holding up that end. Yeah. Um, without the the quick, th- I mean, and then the, you've got the Larkin line, which is the quick strike of of Athens U makes a huge difference there, and they're not playing. They're kind of not playing low event hockey, um, but without that on other lines, it forces them to spend a little bit more time making short passes to start getting up ice and creating transition. Um, the more passing you have to do, especially with the way the Red Wings have been doing it, it's just it gives the opposition more than enough time to either disrupt them through the neutral zone before they can get going, or it gives the other team time to get back defensively to limit how much damage they can do on the rush, which forces the Red Wings to play the dump and chase system. And even when the Red Wings are playing dump and chase, they play it's not it's not a passive forecheck because they do have more than one person in the zone, but they do play a careful forecheck, uh, trying to limit odd man rushes against. So it's a lot of spending a lot of time preventing the other team from getting really great quality transition rush chances, trying to prevent the other team from getting a lot of really good quality chances in their own zone, even though the the puck is in the Red Wing zone more often. And it kind of stifles their ability to create a lot of a lot of shot attempts, and it I it's by design basically. 
Yeah, I think j- just real quick, um, while you were talking, it reminded me of something. I forget. I think it's Sean Tierney on Twitter who, um, you know, like every I don't know if it's every day or like every week, he'll, he'll tweet out some uh, some some charts. And one of the ones is, uh, you know, pace, which is, you know, basically a combination of, uh, you know, chances for and chances against add them together. And, you know, like you were saying, it kind of shows you what teams are playing high event hockey and low event hockey. And the Red Wings have consistently been or maybe not in the beginning of the year, but for a while they have consistently been like the second or third lowest team in the league in terms of, you know, when you add those together. So like you said, I mean, that, that, that definitely correlates to what you're saying that, you know, they are, you know, they're, they're getting fewer chances and it's because they're trying to, they're trying to limit the chances kind of at both ends. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, that said, continues our power i'm totally okay with the better draft position but i guess looking forward what should the team change to give us a better outcome in following years that's a big question i think hmm. what's the, i mean the easy answer is get better players right <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah better players better you know uh better offensive uh <laughs> offensive plays to run uh, yeah and I mean, I mean, some teams do succeed with, you know, limiting, you know, really focusing on limiting chances against at the at the cost of, you know, some offense, you know, like basically every Ken Hitchcock team, uh, you know, and even though, you know, he has some, uh, you know, some inst- instances of basically spectacular failures in the playoffs, you know, mo- most of the times the teams that he coaches do very well in the regular season. Um, so. You know, I mean, like you could succeed doing what we're doing with better players. Um, I think we'd probably want to maybe open up a little bit more with some of the players that we have, like Larkin, Athena, CU, you know, some of these guys that can can do that. You know, I think maybe going forward um, and especially actually, Mike, you touched on something that I, I always find interesting, which is that, you know, Blaschel really seems to want to play a faster um you know, and it always seems like, you know, at the beginning of the year, he's like, OK, this year we're going to do it. And he's like, ah, we don't have the players to do it. You know, so maybe if if we do upgrade the team, you know, that could be something we see. Hey, right on. <sighs> uh, Zyler has kind of an end around on the Holland question that we refuse to answer. So <laughs> uh, if ownership knows they aren't going to bring Holland back, does that influence the degree of selling at the deadline? For example, obviously move green as a UFA and a goalie if you can, but guys like Tatar and Nyquist, who might have decent value, wait until the new GM is placed around that draft. Also, any chance Babcock wants Glenn Denning in Toronto? They keep saying they want to improve their fourth line. Maybe this is just my dream that we could find some way to move him out. <laughs> what do you think, Peter? Uh, I mean, like, I don't really think he's like a, he'd be like a super upgrade for them. Um so I'm going to answer the second question first. I, I don't think that's going to happen. Um, I understand. I understand the uh, the dreaming, but I, I don't think that's going to happen. Like the first one, the first one's always tough. And this is why, like, you know, and and, and, and don't get me wrong. I'm not criticizing uh, Zyler for asking this. Um, but, you know, like when we get kind of the, like the, the Blaschel and the Holland questions, it's tough because like there's so much unknown, you know, like 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 basically to answer this, we have to make a lot of guesses you know um i mean i think the uh, i don't know i mean like i'm hoping that maybe internally they kind of know what they're gonna do they just haven't made it public yet or they haven't you know technically made the final decision but like everybody's kind of on the same page because you know when you have a, a team like this i mean it's kind of the same situation you have in montreal right now with bergevin 
probably on his way out the door, you would imagine. And now they have, you know, it looks like he's trying to trade Max Pacioretty, who, you know, is probably going to go to a team and do a lot better because he'll be out of, you know, out of that pressure of playing in, in Montreal, you know, with the captaincy. And, you know, do you so do you want Bergevin making that trade? Um, and it's kind of the same idea here where if you you know, if Holland's not going to be around next year, which is, you know, what we're hoping for, you would imagine that they'd want the new, you know, the next person to come in and and make those trades. But at the same time, you don't want to, you know, let's say Ken Holland gets a really good offer next week from Mike Green. You know, he should take it. You know, like you don't want to you don't want to wait and just see what will happen if you have a good offer on the table. So, it, like I said, like, I mean, I, I don't know that maybe that's I, I guess I'm not really answering the question that's asked, but I kind of feel like we can't really answer it without knowing some of these underlying questions. Uh, I think that I think the the difference being in your uh, in your example, Pete, is if Bergevin's going to you know, get kicked out the door. Whereas I think it's very likely that Holland gets kicked upstairs. And so he still has a, a vested interest in, in the success of the Red Wings. And um, I, so I, I think that there can be more trust placed in him mm. to, uh, to ensure to, to work harder for the best deal possible. I'm not saying that like Bergeron's going to, you know, trade uh, Max Petty ready for like, you know, Mike uh, Green. Yeah, Mike Green. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but uh, I I think more trust would be given to Holland um, based on his his resume uh, with the team. Yeah, I mean, I have to believe that ownership is not asleep at the wheel in regards to knowing what their GM future is going to be. I don't think that it's necessarily important for them to let the new guy trade the the pricier assets i think that Mm -hmm. ken holland is is going to do what he's told to do and if he is told to sell then he's going to sell and he's he's going to do his best um but i don't think that it makes any sense to say oh maybe don't maybe hold off on on trading tatar before before his um no trade clause kicks in because we want the new guy to do that literally the only thing that i think that the new guy ought to be able to do is is fire the coach is as kind of the the this is my team now thing, but I, I don't think that any player moves are, are going to be necessarily affected by that. Uh, moving on, Sugar Mouse wants to know why are the Red Wings beat reporters so reticent to criticize Ken Holland and Jeff Blashill? Mike, I'm let you start off with this one. Uh, they don't want to criticize them because there are only so many press passes that are handed out and they want to stay in the room. Yeah, Pete. Yeah, I mean, I think I think that's probably the the pretty clear answer. There is is access. Um, although, I mean, you know, it's interesting. You know, now you have uh, you know Craig Cousins coming in and and saying all the things that they never said, and he still, you know, he still seems to get interviews. Yeah, so I, I think it's more. It's not necessarily like their their press passes are going to go away, but it's like these are people they have to interact with every day, and just it's it's kind of pissing in your own cornflakes to to like go all in on them it's it is one of the and i'm not making excuses for them because they specifically do not ask hard questions and that's that's shit that's got to change um but we do have kind of a of a benefit of uh, i've never actually had to face ken holland after saying i think he should be fired (laughs) yeah um (laughs) 
I'm confident in saying that uh, that if I did have to face Ken Holland tomorrow, I could explain to him rationally that yes, I still back that. Um, it's just it's not a pleasant conversation to to yeah. have to think about having face to face though. Um, <laughs> so it is <laughs> yeah. what it is. I I don't think they do a good job, but I I think there are some factors in there that that at play that, that at least makes sense in in terms of of why um yeah and then the other part of that question was do we have any indication what chris illich thinks of holland and blashill and i'll say i have no clue <laughs> nope so close to the end okay uh let's say the wings part ways with blash at the end of the season who's on your short list of possible replacements asked mantha fodder um I, I, I'm, I'm gonna jump in here because i think that, uh, like I was saying before, going all the way back to the Pierre Turgeon thing, that, you know, I, 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 I'm kind of an optimist, but I also have this crushing sense of realism. So the, the stars seem to potentially be aligning um, for us to really upgrade our coach, because for some reason, for some godforsaken reason, um, it seems like Chicago might actually get rid of Joel Quenville. And if that's the case, then we need to do everything possible to get him. Um, so that that's what that would be my my miracle. Um, <laughs> other than that, I mean, I don't really know who's I mean, it, it's going to kind of depend on who's out there and, you know, what teams get rid of their coaches between now and then. Um, you know, there aren't really coaches sitting around waiting for calls that I'm super excited about. But um yeah, I mean, like, like with, with Quenville, it's kind of like with uh, with Claude Julian. You know, when he got fired, it's like every other team in the league should be looking for it. You know, well, not every team, but almost every other team in the league should be like, oh, I want him. Yeah, so, I agree with you on that. Yeah. yeah. I'm still, uh, I still like Dave Tippett. Mm -hmm. But yeah. I don't know, like, uh, you know, there's the very next question is, is what about Todd Nelson? Um, I think that he's. Decently likely, but I really like Todd Nelson in Grand Rapids doing exactly what they should be doing. Like, I don't think they should move him up. Yeah. Um, and I think that you're going to probably be looking at a, another Blast Chill 2.0 situation where a guy was really well suited for the development phase and then not quite as well suited for the winning at the NHL phase. Um Oh no, that's that's a hard thing to say about Todd Nelson because he's he's gotten some unfair shakes previously. So yeah, I, I wouldn't mind him, but yeah, if if Quenville falls available, then I, I think you have to to take a real serious shot at at trying to get him. Yeah, yeah, I um, we'll just skip over the the Quenville uh Quenville part of the the equation here because that's I think an obvious obvious situation. Like yeah. the um. Dave Tippett is the coach that I would feel like that's the, the comfortable kind of rock solid choice of the choices available. And again, I kind of agree with you, Pete, that no, and no coach like is super exciting, but, uh, but yeah, Dave Tippett seems like the, uh, you know, rock solid. I don't want to, I don't want to say safe choice, but the sensible choice, um, you know, and then personally, uh, I always kind of liked Lindy Ruff. I mean, I guess he's a, He's with the Rangers now, apparently. But, uh, um, you know, that's just like me, you know, having a, a, you know, personally liking the way that he ran the uh, the stars. But then, um, you know, according to TSN here, uh, Adam Oates is hanging around. <laughs> <laughs> and wouldn't that be crazy? Uh, 
Well, hey, if, if we if we trust the rumors, then when uh, Paul Coffey takes over in Edmonton, uh, then maybe we can uh, maybe we can take take uh, take McClellan. Yeah, I like it. Um, <laughs> and that very next question, the yeah. the Todd Nelson question was asked by Wings Nut ninety seven ninety eight. I wanted to give a shout out to a to a pretty good lead in there. Mm. So. Uh, Big Tex D three hundred four wants to know: Seeing Bertuzzi, Turgeon, and Hicketts play has filled my heart with joy. Depending on who we move at the deadline, might the Wings actually be better by freeing up some full time roster spots for these guys? Um, yeah, I mean we we've seen it happen before. You know when uh, you know not just in Detroit, you know in other places too, where you know a team's kind of out of it. And so they bring up, you know, they, you know, they bring up some young guys and I think it's like what Mike was saying before. It's like kind of the, the energy, you know, the enthusiasm factor, you know, they're coming in, they're like, oh my God, like, you know, we really need to, um, you know, we really need to kind of make our mark. So, you know, I don't think it would be surprising at all if when we give some of these younger guys a chance, if the team does do better, at least, at least temporarily, at least short term. Yeah. Yes. Wouldn't that be the worst? We, uh, you know, go into go into full sell mode, bring up like four guys from the minor leagues, and then go on like a ten game winning streak <laughs> after we're eliminated. Yeah. If if that's the case, I'm just praying that that like we got a first for somebody, and whoever we traded that first for, like that team misses the playoffs and wins the lottery, and that's <laughs> that's how we end up like just super duper luck into it, to where like everybody <laughs> yeah. spins. The entire time complaining about the the pro Detroit conspiracy. Oh yeah, uh, they had a two percent chance. <laughs> yeah, we get you know. Burned I mean, alive. there's also the consideration of because I I do think the the whole the 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 youthful energy plays into it, but I don't know how much also plays into it that every other team that plays you knows that you sold at the deadline, and so they take you a little less seriously. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. it's maybe a little easier to win those games, um, but I'm I'm not gonna let that slow down my my excitement. If if that's what ends up happening, then I'm just gonna be like I'm just gonna be a fanboy about it and and unapologetic, and I don't care who that makes angry. <laughs> uh, Lark Anakin Skywalker wants to know after the midpoint, are we gonna let it all hang out? I'm letting it all hang out right now. So yeah, yeah I'm gonna continue. <laughs> yeah man that is i know exactly what he means and yes i'm doing it <laughs> the, next is the opposite of red and nude <laughs> <laughs> yes blue and, blue and bundled i guess <laughs> no that doesn't sound good uh, <laughs> Joe Casino wants to know, is Larkin becoming elite? I guess we may all have different definitions of elite, but it seems like he stepped his game up dramatically this year. Do numbers suggest he's trending that way? Does he make his line mates better? And what player in the NHL right now can we compare his ceiling type of player to? Mike, I'm going to hand this one off to you first. Oh, geez. Um, you know, I was just going to look up. I guess I would... I would define elite centers in the NHL as probably a, a top 10 center in the league. I think that seems reasonably fair. Um, I think that that's a, that's a best case scenario for him. And I don't think he's there yet. Um, I uh, have always kind of agreed with the comparison to uh, Jonathan Taze 
sans crybaby outburst from the playoffs a few years ago. Um, but that's, uh, yeah, the really telling thing for him as he develops is going to be his speed isn't going to last forever. It's going to, it's how, how old is he now? 21. Like his, his speed is going to start wearing off and being a less effective tool in like three to four years probably. And so the real question is how, how does he adapt once that primary skill in his toolbox, you know, isn't, isn't what it used to be anymore. Um, so I think that that will be the point when he's, you know, when he's 25 or so that we'll be able to really determine definitively yes or no, like he is, he is an elite center in the best league in the world or not. Yeah. I mean, I think, I, I mean, I, I, I think there's definitely the potential for him maybe to get to that point. Um, you know, keep again, keeping in mind that, that, you know, there's not a lot of centers in the league that I would consider elite. And I think, you know, what you said, you know, top 10, you know, maybe top 15, you know, if you want to kind of stretch it a little bit, you know, I mean, there's there's a tier, you know, there are even several tiers below elite where, you know, they're still a really great player. You know, they're still a really major part of your team. You know, I think I think kind of the more realistic ceiling for him would be, you know, maybe the level below, like whatever you want to call that, you know, the next level below elite. Um I, I think one thing that I really do like is, I mean, I mean, obviously I know like, you know, we all for, for kind of, you know, the way he acts on the ice, it's easy to, you know, really dislike Sidney Crosby. Um, but, you know, it, it's hard to ignore, you know, his, his skill and, you know, his ability. And, you know, one thing that I think has always been impressive about him is that it seems like every year, you know, he kind of identifies something that he could be better at. And that's what he works on in the off season. And then he comes in and he's really good at that. You know, you kind of saw that again with, um, you know, Austin Matthews early, you know, Babcock was really focusing on, you know, you know, he had the offensive ability, you know, Babcock was really kind of forcing him to, you know, develop his defensive ability. And now he's probably one of the best two way, you know, two way centers in the league because, you know, he had that offense and now he's also, you know, he's also defensively responsible and Larkin kind of strikes me as that type of person. Um, you know, he, he seems to really be able to, you know, identify his weaknesses and, you know, realize that they're weaknesses rather than just kind of, you know, oh, this sucks, you know, and really, really work on them, which to me is the mark of, you know, that type of a player. So, I I think if I was betting on it, I don't think he's going to get to that elite level, but I think he's, he's definitely going to be a very, very good player. Like for me, like probably right below that. I think, um, I was looking up, there's a, there's a new player evaluation tool. That's really interesting where, um, this person basically combines, uh, actually, let me give, give the name, uh, Andy Zero. Um, so, um, where it's it's kind of like a hero chart, but they're they added information from the uh, the the, uh, the the passing project, the zone the zone entry and exit thing, and you know not that uh, you know, I pulled up uh, Nathan McKinnon, who's obviously having you know a tremendous year, and you know Larkin compares pretty favorably in some of the areas, um, but not across the board. 
you know, so I think he he's definitely doing really, really well in some areas. Um, for example, his his uh, assists and shot assists are, you know, right up in that kind of elite category. Um, and then the, the 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 biggest biggest thing for him is uh, his transition, his exit rate and his entry rate is is way up there. He has an eight out of ten. Um where, where the basically it's on a zero to ten scale, and the uh, the mean is five, and he has like an eight out of ten on exit rate and a nine out of ten on entry rate, which is not surprising. So in in terms of like exiting the zone, entering the zone, you know he definitely is up there with some of the best in the league, and you know he has a little ways to go to catch up in in some of the other areas, but I think it's definitely at least reasonable that he he could do that. Yeah, I think that uh, that you both nailed it right there it's maybe a little premature to say that he's going to be like and and then we get into the the concept of what's your definition of elite and i think if we do stay with the one of the top 10 centers in the only the top 10 centers in the league are elite then uh cautious yeah it's possible is is right on about for that and i think that the the Jonathan Taves uh, comparison is is really good, and in terms of like where he's he's getting to or coming from, like um, you know, there was a, a post by Evolving Wild on on Hockey Graphs about when players peak, and it, it found that essentially that ages twenty two to twenty five are kind of like the plateau of, of a player's peak before he starts declining. Uh, Larkin is going to turn 22 this summer so yeah basically he's becoming the player he's he's going to be at his best um making his t- his line mates better i think that he does make athens U better i think that he he's he is learning to do that this year in ways that um he didn't have in his rookie year and he, he struggled with last year and that's that's going to make a big difference for him um I don't know if he's ever going to get hit up like the, the, the heart trophy conversation or, or, you know, there's a decent chance he, he turns into a perennial sulky guy. Um, and honestly, at some point, if, if you've got a guy that's a perennial sulky candidate, you should probably call him elite just on that. So, um, I guess it depends on how you look at it, but yeah, I'm really impressed. The bottom line is I'm really impressed with the strides forward Larkin has taken this season. And I think that, uh, that I'm way more, uh, up on him than I was during a, during his struggles last season. Like, I think there's a really good chance that although he may not like reach the, the truly elite top 10 centers, I think there's a really good chance that he is definitely going to be a, a, a number one center. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Whereas if you asked me at any point last year, I'd say his ceiling is is probably more likely to be a two C. And I think that uh, a two center is still a, a pretty decent likelihood, too. Um, but I'm I'm more positive on him now than I was when, than I was then. Yeah. So uh, IT guy wants to know about the Vegas expansion with the team that Vegas put together and thinking there might be more expansion coming. Do you see the NHL changing the rules for putting together a new team? The Wings are a silly 22 points behind them, and every team but one has fewer points. You have to believe that some owners and GMs are having conversations about their success. Um, I I don't think that they can change it drastically. I mean, they can probably change it a little bit, but I don't think they can change it drastically just because of the 
the price that they, you know, like if, if they're talking Seattle, you know, they're talking what? 600 million. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so I don't think they can be like, oh yeah, by the way, um, we're going to change it. So, you know, you're going to pay all this money and you're not going to get what, what they got, you know? So I, I mean, maybe they can change it a little bit. I think um, I heard somebody talking about this. I think it might've been like down goes Brown where there, he was talking about like, maybe, I think I think one time when they had two ex, like expansion uh, maybe cl- close to each other or like uh, maybe it's one of those things. I think they, there was like a year a while back where they had uh, like in the mid 90s where they had like two expansion teams. Whereas like if, um, if 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 you lost a goalie to Vegas, you can't lose a goalie to the next one or something like that. I mean, I, I can see them making little changes, but I don't see they're making a big drastic change. Yeah, me neither. And I think I'm not going to say that. Vegas, you know, nearly leading the league and at moments leading the league is exactly what the NHL wanted. But they, you know, it is a much better outcome for the league for Vegas to be good early on to secure the health of the franchise than for Vegas to be this like, you know, crappy expansion league, expansion team that is putting their dues in for five years before they even sniff the playoffs um it was interesting hearing comparing the differences between the way that the owner of the golden knights and i don't know why i'm blanking on his name right now but the reason the way that he spoke about the you know future prospects and future success of the team before an expansion draft even happened compared to the way that the owner of the jets did a few years prior where the owner of the Jets was like, you know, we're going to build this team the right way. We're going to be building it through the draft and basically like telling fans that, you know, be excited that we have a hockey team now, but understand that this team's not going to be good for a few years. And that's because of the market that Winnipeg is in and Vegas does not have that luxury. They, you know, the owner of Vegas, the Vegas Golden Knights, said in an early uh, press conference that expect us to be to be good and make the playoffs quickly within our first few seasons. And I think he had to say that to guarantee the health of the franchise because the league doesn't want another Arizona. On yeah. Their hands. Yeah. And so yeah, I, I think I think th- I think the league is is not at all upset with uh, um, what's going on with the Golden Knights. I think overall they're probably quite happy. Yeah, I agree. Um, ENSRW, real quick. Who is your choice for the Red Wings goaltender for next season, Howard or Marasic? <sighs> Whichever one we don't trade, I don't know. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's a good question. <laughs> I mean, I it could know. be it could be neither. Yeah, Joran Van Pottelberg. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, there you go. There you go. I think it'll be Howard. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I, unless we trade him. Because I don't think we're qualifying Mrazek. Yeah. Yeah. And I yeah. think it's going to be harder to trade Howard. So. Yeah. 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 I mean, the um, it depends, too, I think. Yeah, I agree with all those points. I think it depends, too, on, you know, how aggressive are their attempts to bring in uh, new blood on the on the blue line. Um, you know, I think uh, a younger blue line would probably uh, merit having uh, the more experienced Howard back there. But the Howard is just kind of my pick in general, I think. Yeah, I I like Howard more, too. So, yeah. So there. 
Uh, finishing off, Peter's glove. That is an uncomfortable question. Uh, you never want to see a guy get hurt, but how much <laughs> is Chicago's great. Corey Crawford mysterious vertigo ailment a direct connection to the completely asinine BS farce Marion Hosa shoulder pad allergy that popped up out of nowhere? This has to be karma, right? And I'm going to jump in right now and say yeah. I do not think that the universe is doing terrible things to Corey Crawford because of Marion Hosa. <laughs> Yeah, it, it's it's a bold it's a bold take, but I think I'm going to agree with you there. Yeah. <laughs> Simply for the point of arguing, no, I'm not going <laughs> to take that position that yeah. that uh, there's a cosmic force that is, uh, <laughs> yeah, distributing <laughs> collective karma on the uh, Chicago Blackhawks. Yeah. You know, right. I saw somebody outside their dressing room with a chicken and a knife, and. Uh, <laughs> And uh, yeah, if karma were real here, it would like it would be exploding like Stan Bowman's behind. Yeah, <laughs> they're the ones like doing this. Like they're not gonna take it out on Corey Crawford. Yeah. and and yeah, of of all the guys on that team to take it out on, like yeah, you know, from what I've seen in interviews and whatnot, like Corey Crawford seems like a pretty good dude. You know, and there are plenty of guys on the, their roster that are <laughs> definitive, yeah, definitively right? not good dudes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The universe is going like, oh, I'm going to I'm gonna get you for married host, and who am I going to take it out on? Ah, yeah, Corey Crawford. Yeah, so, <laughs> There's the, no the, one else on this roster that yeah. that's kind of more deserving of, of yeah. some kind of justice, <laughs> wrath. Take me out on the, well, taking it out on the team beagle. Yeah, because because in that case, who are we going to put on the NHL All Star posters? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Should be piece of the United Center falling on Bobby Hall. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. But you never you never want to see a guy get hurt. <laughs> no, no, no. Okay, I'm going to hand this back over to Peter before I get myself in any more trouble. <laughs> All right, so um, we have the All-Star break coming up in the very near future, coming up this weekend. So as we record this, it's uh, Wednesday the 24th. If you're listening to it uh, the first day it's available, we have a game tonight against Chicago. We are at home at 7:30 and then we have the all-star break and then we are back in action on Wednesday the 31st against the Sharks. Uh let me see just real quick if we have Yeah, actually yeah, let, let's do the next four games cuz then we have two games on Friday and Saturday after that. So um the next four games we got we have home versus Chicago. We got the all-star break, we got home versus the Sharks. Uh that's an 8 o'clock game so that's going to be on NBCSN, isn't it? Ah. Or something. Yeah. I probably have the recap for that too. Now, anyway, um, and then Friday and Saturday we have uh, we are at Carolina and then we are at Florida. So, Mike, what do you think? We got four four games. How many points do you predict us taking out of these four games? Oh goodness, hang hang tight here. Um, against the oh goodness, um, these four games upcoming here. I. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to say, you know, I feel good, and I'm going to say six, actually. I'm feeling nice. I'm feeling optimistic about this lineup. I uh, um, don't expect good things from that uh, that Sharks game, I guess. But um, otherwise, you know, the 
the Blackhawks, it's my predictions mostly just fueled by desire. Like I just, I just want it like really badly. I, I, want, them, I want them to, I want them to beat the Blackhawks again, like really bad, especially cause I'm covering that game. Um, <laughs> but, uh, that hurricanes game, uh, a couple days ago, uh, last week, I guess was just a kind of a bummer of a game. <laughs> yeah. And so, you know, you know, some sort of retribution for that. And then again, uh, you know, retribution against the mediocre Panthers for like how we felt like we couldn't beat them for like two or three years in a row, even though they were still a mediocre team then. They're a mediocre team now. So yeah, yeah. I'm gonna go I'm gonna go with six points. All right, JJ, what do you got? I'm going to predict uh three points. Ooh. I think the only game in that stretch we win is going to be that Panthers game on the road the second night of back to back. I can't tell you why. Um <laughs> Just a hunch. I think we do pull uh, one point out of Chicago tomorrow night um, and then lose on a heartbreaker thanks to a late uh, Luke Witkowski penalty. <laughs> Ooh. Um, before you even said anything, I was going to go with three as well. Um, so I'm not stealing your prediction. Um, I'm going to say because we always this always seems to happen, I think that we have no chance against the Sharks, so I think we're going to win that game. Uh, so I think that's going to be two points, and then I think we're going to pick up a point against the Panthers because we don't really seem to do well against Carolina, so I think that'll probably be a loss. And then, um, sorry, Mike, but I think uh, I think the Chicago game is going to be a loss too. If we um, lose, it's your fault. Yep, that, that's cool. I'm good with that. Because, uh, I mean, there there are definitely conspiracy theories on the comments about, um, you know, the, the different games that I cover, uh, that I do the recap for, and whether or not we win or lose. So I've, I've definitely been blamed for losses in the past. It's nothing new. I'm, I'm okay with it. Uh, <laughs> all right, so uh, before we say goodbye, do either of you have any last thoughts? Closing? Nothing good. Nah. Yeah, no. Um, that's all right. Yeah, I like I like to imagine that right now, like uh, uh, all our players on the IR, uh, Trevor Daly, Darren Helm, and Justin Ablocator are all like uh, making a band together. Um, <laughs> but that's not really a good thought. That's just a thought. <laughs> uh, I like it though. That's all right. Like if if you give JJ enough time, he'll uh, he'll name the band for you. So, uh, you can look forward to that on Twitter. Um, all right, so so thanks a lot for listening. Um, this is this is a fun fun first show back uh, for the new the new year. Um, so I'm Peter. We got Mike and JJ. So thanks for listening and have a great day. And let's go Red Wings. Bring it. <laughs>